Hello, and welcome to Making Sense of Money, a podcast where we try to simplify financial topics to help people make more informed decisions about money. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andrea Pellegrini. Last episode, we talked with Jeremy Reed from IDFPR's Division of Real Estate to break down how Illinois regulates the real estate industry. We talked about the different professions that are regulated from brokers to appraisers and auctioneers. I learned about there's several different types of brokers. That was fun to learn about myself and a whole bunch of other things about real estate in general. If you're looking to buy a home or enter the profession, make sure to check it out if you missed it. And I'm Jake Hamilton, your other co-host. This week, we're going to be talking to another one of my colleagues at IDFPR, Heather Est. Heather works for the Division of Professional Regulation, which oversees many of the licensed professions in Illinois. Uh, If you're required to be licensed for your job, there's a decent chance you've interacted with the Division of Professional Regulation. Heather, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for the division? Uh, Yes, good morning. Thanks so much for the invite to join you here today. Um, I've personally been with the Division of Professional Regulation for about 20 years. My current position is Assistant Deputy Director for the Division of uh, Licensing and Testing. Our unit is basically responsible for reviewing applications for all the licenses uh, administered by the Division of Professional Regulation, uh, and we also provide some support functions such as certifications, change of address, that kind of thing after the license has been issued. We have about 60 staff members here in the Springfield office, and we have three different units. Um, There's the health services, which by its name you would guess uh, administers all the healthcare type licenses, Uh, and then we have the professional services unit, which deals with non-healthcare licenses such as locksmiths, accountants, architects, uh, funeral home directors, uh, things like that. The third unit is the one that does the post-licensure functions. And that's everything from, again, as I mentioned, uh, certifications to change of address to helping you get your license back if it's lapsed, uh, things like that. Uh, Personally, I help manage the unit uh, and deal with kind of uh, division-wide kind of policy changes or procedure changes. For example, if there's a a change by a testing group or a new piece of legislation, basically just try to help support the frontline processing staff so that they can do their job as efficiently as possible and get people licenses as quickly as possible. Thank you so much for joining us, Heather, and kind of giving us a, a background of, of how long you have been with the division as well as what your role is. I feel like we have the best person on to talk about professional licensing today, and I'm very excited about that. So some of our listeners may have heard of IDFBR because of your division. They might be licensed by your division. Um, But I want to give a little bit of economic context around professional licensing, since we're going to be talking about that so much today. Um, Some research by the Brookings Institute on professional licensing over the past several years has shown that professional licensing can be a big benefit for earnings potential. For instance, compared to professionals that are not licensed but do similar work within particular professions, the licensed professionals are often paid more and have more job security. They tend not to have issues with either reduction in their hours by choice or by force. (laughs) Um, So they tend to have more job security from that perspective and they have more higher employment rates over the lifetime of their career. 
And then a study in 2018 by the Community College Research Center even stated that there are earnings benefits to be licensed in a profession, even if it is not a requirement. So I know that there's a lot of state requirements for professional licensing here. We're probably gonna talk a little bit about that. But even if it's not required in your state, having a license can help earn you more money over your lifetime, which I, I thought was very interesting and, and cool to talk about today. But in general, who or what kind of professions does DPR license, Heather? Uh, we certainly cover a wide swath of industries. It's actually uh, quite interesting. Um, most people, of course, are familiar or know that we license healthcare professionals, such as doctors or nurses or psychologists, um, occupational therapists, physical therapists. The, the list is pretty extensive. Um, but I don't think people realize that we also regulate other industries, such as geologists or shorthand reporters, um, uh, security guards, uh, or something even as small as something that's called detection of deception, which is basically people who administer lie detector tests. We do actually issue a license uh, for people who uh, engage in that industry. Um, we also issue licenses for some businesses. Uh, there are laws that, you know, indicate that you need to have a license for something such as a medical corporation, a limited li liability corporation, or a, like, say, architectural or a uh, structural engineer design firm. Um, so we do regulate a lot, um, but I do want to point out for those that are curious, we don't regulate all uh licensed or regulated professions. There are other agencies that um, do get in on this type of action, if you will. Um, we do not regulate attorneys, uh, teachers, or EMTs. So we certainly encourage people to check out our website, or uh, I believe there's a, a page on the governor's webpage that will help you find out which agency you need to go to if you need a license to help you with your career. That's great. Uh, thank you, Heather. Uh, and thank you. I'll say thank you for joining us today. It's uh, it's great to have you on. But that's uh, I think you listed some that even I was unaware of there. I did not know that we licensed geologists. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I myself, actually, I used to be licensed um, to sell insurance, but that's a separate agency as well. So the Division of Professional Regulation is, is obviously a big part of our whole agency. Um, how many, you listed a few there, but how many different professions do you license in total? So uh, it's a little bit of a, a tricky question. There are over 55 different licensing acts that we administer, but within those acts, there can be multiple licenses that we issue. So for example, the Detective Act, Detective Act is one act, but it includes probably over 25 different license categories, such as security guards, fingerprint vendors, alarm contractors, um, and uh, a lot of other things. But And some of those acts also will include multiple levels for licensure. For example, you'll have a professional counselor license, and then you may have the clinical professional counselor licenses. So there's 55 licensing acts, but when I went to kind of count it up yesterday, it's probably just over 180 different type of licenses or registrations that we issue. Uh, so it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of variety. Uh, and so it obviously touches a lot of people in a lot of industries. That's amazing. And and you have, you said 60 staff in your office that, that oversee 180 licensing processes. Ooh, 
Yeah, it's 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 a lot, and uh, you know some of them are very tiny. Um, you know, such as we mentioned, the detection of deception or geologist. It's a small number. The big ones, of course, are going to be the ones that people are familiar with: the nurses and security guards, um, uh, and the sec- uh, cosmetologists and physicians. Those are going to be some of the big ones. Um, and we also do get a lot of support um, from other units within the department and the division, such as the fiscal unit, the cash unit, uh, and obviously IT plays a, a major role. So we have about 60 people who are, you know, in the licensing and testing division, uh, and they they do a lot. It sounds like it. And, and with that in mind, kind of quantify the breadth of it, you have 55 licensing acts, over 180 different types of licenses and registrations you'll receive. How many licensees do you oversee? So at the moment, there are approximately 1.2 million active licenses out there. So those are people who have maintained their license or just received their license. And it's, you know, some people will have multiple licenses. For example, a dentist will have a dental license and a controlled sub-license sometimes. Um, So there are people that have multiples, but the vast majority are going to be just a single license. And there's there's about 1.2 million of those out there. Um, on average, we receive and review about 85,000 applications um, per year for a new license or a new registration. And again, some of those can be for your initial license as a marriage and family therapist, or it could be for a new controlled sub-license, which would be obviously a faster and smaller application. But in general, our staff have to touch and review and then, you know, contact people and research, you know, about 85,000 applications um, every year. (laughs) So we, we, you know, produce those, you know, as fast as we can. Um, and then in addition, um, we also have to process, process renewals, um, and licenses are generally good for two or three years. Um, some are only good for one year or have a one-year renewal cycle, and there's a, a couple other outliers, but the majority of people, the license is for two or three years. And so the number of renewals that we process is going to vary by year because those cycles change. But in general, if you average it out, approximately 300,000 people every year will be renewing one or more of their licenses. Uh, The majority of those are going to be done electronically through our computer systems, but even a small fraction of that is going to be a large number considering the volume. Uh, And those physically are still received here in the office, processed through the cash unit and some other computer systems. Um, so again, it's, we interact with and touch on a lot of lives, uh, and we, you know, try to do the best job we can and, you know, keep people working. Wow. That's yeah. That's a lot of licensees, uh, 1.2 million to put that in context. I think I was just doing some quick math in my head. That's about 10% of the state of Illinois population. I believe, uh, we're about 12 million here, but that's, yeah, that's pretty crazy. To switch gears a little bit, uh, something we touched on last episode with Jeremy from Real Estate was how uh, they enforce their regulations. And, and we like to focus on the consumer aspect of the on this podcast. Um, so how would you say that uh, Division of Professional Regulation enforces its regulations and protects consumers? Um, so the division is divided up in a very general sense into two larger units. There's licensing and testing, um, and then there's the enforcement side. Um, and uh, many years ago, I actually used to be on the enforcement side as well, so I can speak to that uh, briefly. 
basically, um, on the enforcement side, uh, consumers, citizens, or even just internally, we can become aware of an issue. Um, citizens, if they file a complaint with us or consumers, um, we receive the information that there's a possible violation of the act or a possible issue that will then go through an investigator and various supervisors, and they will, you know, do a classic investigation. They'll, you know, contact witnesses, gather evidence, that type of thing. If it looks like there's a case or an issue, that matter will then get referred over to the prosecution's unit, to the attorneys. They'll also do a review to determine if there's enough evidence. And then um, sometimes if there's an agreement between the licensee and the, the department, there may be an agreed order to resolve the case, and that can sometimes uh, include a public discipline, such as a reprimand or probation or suspension or a number of things. Um, but sometimes there's not an agreement, and then the matter will go to a formal hearing, which is basically what most people would think of as a trial. So you have you have the hearing officer, you have attorneys, you have defense attorneys, and they you know present their case, and then the licensee defends themselves, and then the matter would go before the licensing board for that profession. For each of our professional acts, we generally have a, a board of practitioners in that industry. Uh, they review licensing matters and uh, rules and things like that, but they also review um, allegations against practitioners. So that board will issue an opinion and then the whole matter will go to the director uh, and for a final decision. And if the director feels that there's enough evidence and it's warranted, then discipline may be imposed. Um, anytime a practitioner is disciplined, that information is posted on the department's website. And if you go to look up a practitioner, if they have been disciplined, um, there will be a little flag at the end saying yes. And you can click on that and find out some more information about um, the discipline that was imposed. So we always encourage people when they're, you know, researching doctors or dentists or, you know, security companies or anything of that nature to get the license number or just look them up on the website to see if there's been any discipline imposed on that license. Are there any resources for consumers out there who may have run into like a bad situation with a licensed professional or a sketchy situation even, can they, can they go to IDFPR for help or to file a complaint? Um, certainly. Now, I do want to say that if it's something is like an emergency situation or there's like a theft allegation, people should always go straight to the police or call 911. Um, but if it's not that dramatic or drastic, um, they can go to our webpage. And if you scroll down on the webpage, I believe there's a link that says, you know, file a complaint. And then they can click through and there is an online form that consumers can fill out that basically, you know, they ask for the licensee's name and their name and then a description. And that will start the process of opening an investigation. Um, if individuals are not comfortable filling out that form online or they've got a bunch of documents, the website will have uh, an address where they can send information. And then there's also a phone number they can call. Uh, and I believe what happens is they, they leave a message and then someone will contact them back to kind of talk to them about their concern and how to proceed. I just had a, a clarifying question. What kinds of information is required for the form so that people that might have run into a situation know what to collect and what to save? In general, the more information a consumer can provide, 
the more likely it is that we'll be able to move forward with the investigation. They don't necessarily have to have the license number. Um, as long as they know the person's name and their industry, um, we may be able to track them down in our system. Um, if they have an address for the business, we'll be able to track it down that way. We really do try to kind of meet the consumers where they're at so that, you know, we can try to resolve the problem or address it. Um, unfortunately, if there's no information and we can't track down or identify who the licensee is or what the business is, then we may not be able to move forward. But really just, you know, come with the information that you have or gather as much as you can um, because as much as you can help us, then we can do a better job investigating uh, and looking into the matter and, you know, trying to fix the problem or, you know, or at least look into it. Thank you, Heather. I know in general, when we're talking about um, filing complaints, especially against banking situations uh, at the federal level, that you want to have dates, names of people you talk to, nature of interaction, um, but trying to keep it more factual than emotional, which is hard when you've been a victim of a bad situation or fraud or with you regulating medical professionals, a family member died, right? That might mm -hmm. be a cause of emotional, it's hard to keep the emotions out of it, but that usually helps with um, investigations from what I understand. <laughs> Uh, agreed. And that definitely um, comes into play on our side as well. Uh, the more facts that you can give, because um, we can research facts, we can investigate facts and, you know, we can we can look at that and that that's, you know, the path towards getting to a resolution. Um, we understand, you know, obviously dealing with healthcare, we have instances where there have been, you know, unfortunate outcomes with, you know, medical procedures or, or mm -hmm. other things or, you know, for example, you know, a, a unlicensed roofing company came through town after a tornado and, you know, ripped off grandma. Um, you know, these things happen and people are understandably upset. But, you know, we, as you said, you know, the more facts that we can get, the better chance we have at actually trying to, you know, enforce the law. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah, from, from the banking side too, I can certainly test yeah that the more information you have just as much as you can will, will help yourself out uh, in the long run if you need to file a complaint against an institution or or a professional um so so thank you heather that was very helpful um but with as many professions as uh dpr oversees i'm sure that are that there are often changes for various professions um it, whether that's in regulations or legislation but what kind of resources are available for licensees uh, to stay up to date on any changes that might happen in their in their profession? Uh, certainly, uh, for each profession uh, that we kind of administer, there is a page on the website that's dedicated to that profession. Uh, and some of the applicants or licensees, I should say, um, may be familiar with it because there's links to the application on those pages. Um, but further down the page, there are also links to the individual act and rules for that specific profession. And those are links to the General Assembly website pages. So they are as current uh, as they possibly can be. So those resources are always available. In addition, on each page, uh, there may be notices uh, or alerts or information that's specific to that industry uh, that we feel people should know about, or if we've received a lot of questions on something, there may be information on the profession-specific page. But of course, there's also issues that are 
um, more applicable to a wide swath of our professions. Uh, for example, um, a year or so ago, there was a law passed that all of our licensees had to take a one-hour CE course on sexual harassment prevention training uh, if they had to do CE to renew their license. Um, and so this applied to everyone. And so we created a, a two-page FAQ that applied to all the professions. Uh, and that has gone to a more general FAQ or information page that's more of an agency-wide page. Um, so there's the profession-specific pages, but then there's also um, more general information for things that apply broadly to many industries. In addition to the information that's available on the website, licensees or applicants can also contact our call center um, for help or if they have any questions. Perfect. Yeah, that's great to know. Um, and I've, I've also heard that your division works pretty closely with military service members and their spouses as well. Could you talk a little bit about those efforts? Yeah, supporting military families um, is something that we've taken, you know, very seriously for a long time. And it's something that's been very important to the, the secretary of the agency. Um, and we try to help people uh, as much as we can through the process. Uh, in the past few years, this has actually ramped up quite a bit through some legislation and some initiatives through the governor's office and internally. Uh, and we now have a staff member who is a dedicated military liaison. Um, and this is a, a staff member who has military experience himself. So he kind of, you know, as he says, speaks the language. Um, and he basically acts as a contact point for individuals to ask questions um, or for the military per base personnel to contact if they need assistance with something or to answer questions. And he also works directly with our processing staff to help expedite review of application for military service members uh, or their spouses uh, to try to get them their licenses as quickly as possible. Um, if we have all of the items that we need to issue the license, we are generally able to get those licenses out the door within about two weeks. Uh, because we know that it's very important when these families are moving into Illinois, there's a lot that goes into it. They're, you know, they're, they're doing with housing, they're dealing with schooling, they're dealing with jobs. And so, you know, we try to help them get that license as quickly as possible to just take one thing off their plate. I think that's really great for military families that you provide that service and that yeah. specialized person. Yeah, the program's been really successful, and uh, last year we helped about 250 people. Um, and I do want to say that more information about how we support military families uh, is available on our website. If you go to uh, the department webpage, there's a link um, specifically for to specifically as a resource for military families. If you click on that link, there's uh, resources and contact information for the military liaison. We'll make sure to highlight your website and maybe highlight the URL specific to military websites uh, in our show notes too. I also know that a lot of professions, most professions, um, especially certifications, will require continuing education, like so many hours of training each year or certification period to maintain their professional credentials. Do all of the professions that your division regulates require continuing education to maintain their licenses? And if they do, uh, are there differences between professions on how much continuing education may be required? 
Okay, so I would say that most of the professions that we regulate uh, do require individuals to complete continuing education uh, in order to their renew their license. Uh, and again, CE is on a two, uh, excuse me, renewal of a license is on a two to three year cycle for most individuals. So that continuing education will be due for renewal whenever that comes up for your industry. Uh, the C continuing education, uh, it is an expense that people should keep in mind. Uh, it's, the price point can vary tremendously from industry to industry. Um, there does appear to be some uh, free or low-cost continuing education available in most industries, um, but it is a potential cost that people should keep in mind the amount of continuing education that needs to be completed varies tremendously from the industries. Uh, it can be as high as 50, 50 a year, um, or it can be as low as 10 per year. Um, so you really need to check your own license, the rules for your particular license to see how much continuing education you need to do. Beyond that, each profession does have specific rules to each profession on the content of that continuing education or what things can qualify as continuing education. Uh, in many industries, you can earn continuing education credit by teaching a class or authoring articles or authoring research papers. But again, it varies by profession. So we definitely encourage people to check the rules for their profession um, or contact the call center uh, for a kind of detailed breakdown for their particular license. Uh, in addition to the requirements for their particular industry, there are some statewide, or I should say there are some broader continuing education requirements. I already mentioned the sexual harassment prevention training requirement, um, and that applies to everyone. Um, in addition, for controlled substance registrations, there is a require a CE specific requirement uh, for that as well. So we just definitely encourage people to check the rules for their particular profession, um, and you know, work on it as early as possible uh, so that they're not stuck trying to do CE the week that you know their license expires. It's a great. Uh, point of advice: Don't wait till the end to yeah, try to fit in. Your don't procrastinate. Uh, it's, it's easy to do sometimes. I I do know that um, you know I've worked with several nurses in the past, and with nursing profession, you do have to do continuing education. But sometimes, if you work in a particular field or with a particular organization that specializes in an area. Um, they might pay for continuing education credits in like the mental health realm and but making sure that what they provide matches up with what the, the needs are for your continuing education is really important so you can maintain your license and your ability to make money because we care about the individual consumers on this podcast. Exactly. Um, and there are definitely some employers that offer a lot of CE or continuing education um, just as part of, you know, their internal training programs. Hospitals, I know, do a lot of training uh, internally that can count as continuing education. Accounting firms do a lot of internal training that counts as continuing education. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities out there. Um, if you're have an employer that offers a lot of training, then, you know, that may sat satisfy the requirement. 
Um, but there are also a lot of other opportunities out there. Absolutely. It's, it's good to know where you can get that information from. Another thing that we like to cover with all of our guests over the past year is how COVID has impacted their jobs. I know with professional licensing, I had a student who was trying to get into uh, mental health care, get her LCP, whatever the licensed clinical social worker, <laughs> LCSW, too many acronyms. Yeah. Um, and there was a delay because of COVID. But can you give us some more context on how globally the pandemic has impacted your, your ability to license professionals over the past year? Uh, well, certainly COVID, you know, had an impact on everybody in the state and the country uh, in terms of work environment um, and also personal lives, you know, childcare, schooling, uh, and obviously, you know, everyone's personal health and safety it was a, a chaotic time. Um, last spring was very challenging from us uh, from an administrative standpoint. Spring is our busy season. Um, it's when all the temporary medical permits are coming in. A lot of people are graduating from school. They're taking their exams. So spring is a very busy time for us to begin with. Um, and then we, you know, had the pandemic um, start up and we had to transition to finding a way for everyone to be able to work from home. And we had nobody working from home before then. So this was a big effort. Uh, so from a logistical standpoint, we had to get IT involved. We had to get people connected. Um, we have a lot of our applications, people file online, but there's still a fair number of them that are paper-based. So we were still had to have people in the office because people still had to manage the paper. They had to, you know, the supplemental documents that come in, exam scores, transcripts, you know, all these paper documents we had to scan or people came in on a rotating basis um, because it was critical that we still issue licenses, especially in the healthcare field. We needed nurses. We needed doctors. We, you know, we needed all these healthcare practitioners. And so we had to be very adaptive. We had to be very, you know, dynamic in terms of our thoughts of how we do things. And, you know, we were very fortunate that our managers and our staff you know, really stepped up and they embraced all these rapid fire changes. Um, and, you know, we were able to process, you know, all the apps and licenses that we had. Um, it was unfortunate due to the pandemic, a number of, um, not a number, a large number of exams were canceled for various industries. And so we kind of had to keep on top of all of those changes. And then as soon as those scores came in, try to get those licenses out as quickly as possible. Um, in addition to kind of dealing with all that and processing our normal amount of applications, we were asked to create a new program, um, the COVID Temporary Practice Permit System, which basically, uh, rather than having people apply for a license, if they were going to come into Illinois to help fight the pandemic, they would submit a one-page application without a fee, um, and they would go through a very quick process and we would issue them a temp practice, a temporary practice permit specific to COVID-19. Um, so that was a whole new program layered on top of everything else. Uh, and to date, we have issued 13,000 temporary practice permits to individuals who are licensed in other states, but who wanted to come in to Illinois to help fight the pandemic and provide the, you know, the necessary health care. 
Um, so we had a lot of logistical changes over the past year, but our staff have been fantastic and have been doing a great job in, you know, turning, you know, reviewing applications and getting the licenses out, you know, as quick as we can. That is amazing. And I think you're unsung heroes in the fight against COVID, honestly, to be able to license or permit that many healthcare professionals to come into the state and help get our pandemic a little bit more under control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, sorry, go ahead, Heather. No, I mean, and, and it's, you know, sorry, I don't even know what I was going to say there. <laughs> sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, it was, a, it was an incredible effort, um, you know, all around. Um, yeah. I, I, I know speaking from my own experience back last in 2020 in March, you know, when the spring hit and, COVID started, you know, even with, within division of banking, it was a mad dash too, because, you know, we are, our examiners are used to going into banks, physically going into banks and looking at loan files at the bank uh, and doing their examinations there. And then all of a sudden banks were closed, our offices were closed, you know, we couldn't go in, into banks physically anymore. Um, and we still have our, our mandates. We still have to examine banks and make sure that they're operating safely and soundly. So, um, you know, it was, it took a lot of, um, ingenuity and, and effort, um, on our, on the employees parts, uh, here at IDFPR. So I think we just did a great job with all of that. Again, standing over. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Not to, not to pat ourselves, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but, uh, I just think it was an impressive effort. Um, but this last year has obviously been tough on a lot of consumers, and licensees as well. Uh, I know that our agency has put out a lot of guidance to try and help people uh, navigate this last year. Uh, is there any guidance from uh, professional regulation side that you would like to highlight? Um, well, on the agency's website, there's uh, a whole page dedicated to a wide range of guidance statements, variances, executive orders, and emergency rules. Um, one that I'll highlight for the licensees was that um, especially last year, there was a number of variances issued by the director and emergency rules uh, with respect to continuing education requirements, uh, the, the requirements needed to renew licenses. Um, some of those industries had uh, restrictions on the amount of continuing education people could earn uh, through online systems um, so that there was a requirement that you needed to attend a certain amount of live in-person CE or other events, but there was a cap on the amount of online CE you could do. Uh, due to the pandemic, obviously a lot of association meetings or conventions um, and you know in-person classes were canceled. Uh, and so to address that, variances were issued to allow people to do all their CE online. Um, this has since been followed up with permanent rule changes. Um, I encourage people to look at the rules for their profession because <laughs> it, it varies from profession to profession. Um, but there have been some permanent rule changes on that topic, um, which is, you know, we think is a benefit to the practitioners because it gives them additional flexibility in ways that they can earn their CE or continuing education. Sorry. Um, so that is that's kind of one very practical um, change due to COVID uh, for the licensees. This area might not be as, as prevalent in your division as it is for banking or other financial professions, but there 
has there been an uptick in fraud or scams over the past year? Have you seen any new things pop up or um, with regard to fraud that people should look out for? Um, with respect to consumers, I think with COVID, you saw um, a little bit of an act, uh, uptick, if you will, in people promoting cures to COVID or things of that nature. I mean, especially during a pandemic, people are scared or concerned, and it's natural to look for a solution to protect themselves and their families. And unfortunately, there's always people out there looking to you know, take advantage of that. Uh, and so we did see, I believe, an increase in people claiming to be healthcare practitioners, but not actually having a license. Um, and so we always encourage people to, you know, if they're thinking about making, you know, an appointment with a healthcare practitioner or purchasing a treatment or anything like that, to do a little bit of research and find out if that person actually has a license by a government entity, whether it's Illinois or some other state, um, because that's your best way to guarantee that that person has the knowledge and training to safely provide that treatment or recommend a course of treatment. Um, in a general sense, unfortunately, there are always frauds out there and consumers should be aware of. We mentioned, I mentioned previously about the, the roofing and the, especially after like big tornadoes come through or a big winter storm or something. Um, there unfortunately is a bit of a history of people from out of state coming in, uh, kind of swooping in and, you know, trying to take advantage of the situation. So again, check the website for a license. With respect to licensees, um, I don't know that there's been an uptick specific to licensees, but we have seen some more, some, there, I mean, individuals looking to commit fraud are always being creative. And so we've seen some new approaches, if you will. Um, for example, an interesting one that came through um, the end of last year was someone had taken the letterhead for an association. So not the agency's letterhead, but an association letterhead but then had typed up a letter basically making it sound like they were part of the drug enforcement agency and there were criminal charges pending and you must contact us or we're going to issue a warrant for your arrest, you know, all of that type of scary language. And it was complete fraud, of course. Um, but that was something we had never seen before that someone used a, a, a association's letterhead to try to commit the fraud. Um, we've also seen instances of people calling licensees claiming to be DEA agents um, or people claiming to be agency investigators. Uh, if a licensee receives any of this kind of communication, we encourage them to call our call center. We have a protocol set up uh, where we can verify with the enforcement unit whether or not the investigator is a department employee and whether the investigation is legitimate or whether this is a an attempted fraud. Um, but again, for, for any industry we regulate, we encourage people to check the department's website to see if that business has a license or to see if that healthcare practitioner has a license or, you know, anyone who's going to provide the service um, just to check and see. I mean, you should feel comfortable asking them for their license number um, and then check the website. Yeah, I think that's a good practice just in general if you're dealing with any licensed profession is is to make sure that their you know license is up to date and in, in good standing like you said um but but thank you for all all of the information you provided 
today, Heather. I'll just I'll just ask you this: uh, Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners or anybody who might be looking to enter a licensed profession? So my main suggestion is that if you're considering entering an industry, to really do a lot of research um, into the costs of that industry and any you know other requirements. Um, you know, investigate how much the schooling is going to cost. Uh, how much it's going to cost to get like a certification if that's required for licensure or the examination costs or how much it's going to be to get malpractice insurance for that industry. Um, really investigate that and also investigate the the career opportunities for that industry. What are the, you know, what are the average salaries? Um, you know, so really go in with an eyes open about that industry um, so that you can be as successful as possible. Um, once you decide you are going to enter that industry um, and get a license, um, just know that we understand the application process can be a bit daunting. Um, but, you know, we are trying to get people licensed as quickly as possible. But we want to make sure that everyone who has a license meets the requirements in the law to make sure that, you know, the people of Illinois and everywhere else can be sure that all these practitioners have you know, the same level of education and training to provide safe, competent services uh, to everyone. Thank you so much, Heather, for joining us today and sharing your knowledge. We really appreciate everything that you've brought to us. I am very excited about sharing my new knowledge about geologists needing licensing in the state of Illinois. It's going to be my stupid human trick for all the parties post pandemic. Um, for anyone who's looking to enter into a profession that is licensed by IDFPR, you can find out more information and all you need to know by visiting the IDFPR website at idfpr.com DPR, which we will also put in the show notes. You can do a license lookup or file a complaint as a consumer there as well. And make sure to do your outside research. Uh, Heather talked about knowing how much the salaries are for particular industries that you're interested in, along with the ongoing costs. Um, you can look up a lot of information from the Bureau of Labor Statistics or onetonline.com to get information about potential salaries, median salaries, and kind of what the requirements are for different jobs, which we can also put in the show notes. Yeah, that's great to highlight. Andrea. And I'll say also, thank you so much for joining us today, Heather. Um, to listeners, we hope you all enjoyed the episode. Uh, you can always reach out to IDFPR if you have further questions about your specific profession or profession you might be interested in entering into. Uh, next episode, we're going to revisit a topic that we briefly covered before, uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. Uh, so be sure to tune in. You won't want to miss that one. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. And thanks for listening.